0: Volume 2, Chapter 11 of Emmeline The Orphan of the Castle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Florence Short. Emmeline, The Orphan of the Castle by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume 2. Chapter Eleven. Emmeline had now lost her lover at least for some time, and one of her friends too was gone where she could seldom hear of her. These deprivations attached her more closely than ever to Mrs. Stafford. Mr. Stafford was gone to town, and except now and then a short and melancholy visit from Fritz Edward to whom Delamere had lent his house at Tylehurst, they saw nobody for all the neighbouring families were in London. They found not only society, but happiness together enough to compensate for almost every other, and passed their time in a way particularly adapted to the taste of both. Adjoining to the estate where Mrs. Stafford resided, a tract of forest land, formerly a chase and now the property of a collegiate body, deeply indents the arable ground beyond it and fringes the feet of the green downs which rise above it this part of the country is called woodbury forest and the deep shade of the beech trees with which it is covered is broken by wild and uncultured glens where among the broom hawthorn and birch of the waste a few scattered cottages have been built upon sufferance by the poor for the convenience of fuel so amply afforded by the surrounding woods these humble and obscure cabins are known only to the sportsman and the woodcutter for no road whatever leads through the forest and only such romantic wanderers as mrs stafford and emmeline were conscious of the beautiful walks which might be found among these natural shrubberies and solitary shades the two friends were enjoying the softness of a beautiful april morning in these woods when in passing near one of the cottages they saw at a low casement half obscured by the pendant trees a person sitting whose dress and air seemed very unlike those of the usual inhabitants of such a place she was intent on a paper over which she leaned in a melancholy posture but on seeing the two ladies approach she started up and immediately disappeared though the distance at which they saw her in the obscurity of the window prevented their distinguishing the features of the stranger they saw that she was young and they fancied she was beautiful the same idea instantly occurred to mrs stafford and emmeline that it was some unfortunate young woman whom mr stafford had met with and had concealed there something of the same sort had happened once before and mrs stafford's anxiety and curiosity were both awakened by this incident though the latter was a passion she never indulged where its object was the business of others she could not repress it where it was excited by suspicion of a circumstance which so nearly concerned herself nor could she conceal from emmeline her fears on this occasion and emmeline though unwilling to increase them yet knew enough of her husband's conduct to believe they were too well founded mrs stafford had been accustomed to buy poultry of the woman who lived at this cottage and therefore went in in hopes of finding some vestige of the person they had seen which might lead to an inquiry but they found nothing but the usual humble furniture and few conveniences of such an house and mrs stafford forbore to inquire lest the person she had seen might be alarmed and take more effectual means of concealment but unable to rest and growing every moment more desirous to know the truth and to know it before her husband whom she expected in a few days returned she arose very early the next morning and accompanied by emmeline went to the cottage in the forest the man who inhabited it was already gone out to his work and the woman to a neighbouring town to buy necessaries for her family the door was open and the ladies received this intelligence from three little children who were playing before it. They entered the low, smoky room usually inhabited by the family, and Mrs. Stafford, with a beating heart, determining to be satisfied, opened a door which led from it into that at the window of which she knew the stranger had appeared, and which the people of the house dignified with the appellation of their parlour. In this room, on the brick floor, and surrounded by bare walls stood a bed which seemed to have been brought thither for the accommodation of some person who had not been accustomed to such an apartment mrs stafford saw sleeping in it a very young woman pale but extremely beautiful and her hand of uncommon delicacy lay on the white quilt a sight which gave her pain for herself and pity for the unfortunate person before her affected her so much that having stood a moment in astonishment she stepped back to the place where emmeline sat and burst into tears the noise however trifling brought from above-stairs a person evidently a lady's maid of very credible appearance who came down hastily into the room where mrs stafford and emmeline were saying as she descended the stairs i am coming immediately my lady but at the sight of two strangers she stopped in great confusion and at the same moment her mistress called to her she hastened without speaking to attend the summons and shut the door after her after remaining a few moments she came out again and asked mrs stafford if she wanted the woman of the house to which mrs stafford determined whatever it cost her to know the truth said no my business is with your lady. The woman now appeared more confused than before, and said hesitantly, I, I my lady, I fancy you are mistaken, madam. Go in, however, and let your mistress know that Mrs. Stafford desires to speak to her. The maid reluctantly and hesitantly went in, and after staying some time, came back. My mistress, madam, says she has not the pleasure of knowing you, and being ill and in bed, she hopes you will excuse her if she desires you will acquaint her with your business by me no replied mrs dafford i must see her myself tell her my business is of consequence to us both and that i will wait till it is convenient to her to speak to me with this message the maid went back with looks of great consternation to her mistress they fancied they heard somebody sigh and weep extremely the maid came out once or twice and carried back water and hartshorn at length after waiting near half an hour the door opened and the stranger appeared leaning on the arm of her woman she wore a long white muslin morning gown and a large muslin cap almost concealed her face her dark hair seemed to escape from under it to form a decided contrast to the extreme whiteness of her skin and her long eyelashes hid her eyes which were cast down and which bore the marks of recent tears if it were possible to personify languor and dejection it could not be done more expressively than by representing her form her air her complexion and the mournful cast of her very beautiful countenance she slowly approached mrs stafford lifted up her melancholy eyes to emmeline and attempted to speak i am at a loss to know ladies said she what can be your but unable to finish the sentence she sat down and seemed ready to faint the maid held her smelling-bottle to her i waited on you madam said mrs stafford supposing you were acquainted too well acquainted with my name and business no upon my honour said the young person i cannot even guess you are very young said mrs stafford and i fear very unfortunate be assured i wish not either to reproach or insult you but only to try if you cannot be prevailed upon to quit a manner of life which surely to a person of your appearance must be dreadful it is indeed dreadful sighed the young woman nor is it the least dreadful part of it that i am exposed to this she now fell into an agony of tears which affected both mrs stafford and emmeline so much that forgetting their fears and suspicions they both endeavoured tenderly to console her having in some measure succeeded and mrs stafford having summoned resolution to tell her what were her apprehensions the stranger saw that to give her a simple detail of her real situation was the only method she had to satisfy her doubts and to secure her compassion and secrecy for which reason she determined to do it and mrs stafford whose countenance was all ingenuous as well as her heart assured her she would never repent her confidence while emmeline whose looks and voice were equally soothing and engaging to the unhappy expressed the tenderness interest in the fate of a young creature who seemed but little older than herself and to have been thrown from a very different sphere into her present obscure and uncomfortable manner of life the stranger would have attempted to relate her history to them immediately but her maid a steady woman of three or four-and-thirty told her that she was certainly unable then and begged the ladies not to insist upon it till the evening or the next day adding my lady has been very poorly indeed all this week and is continually fainting away and you see ladies how much she has been frightened this morning and i am sure she will not be able to go through it to the probability of this observation the two friends assented and the young lady, naming the next morning to gratify their curiosity, they left her Mrs. Stafford first offering her anything her house afforded to which she replied that at present she was tolerably well supplied and only conjured them to observe the strictest secrecy without which she said she was undone at the appointed time. They returned equally eager to hear and if possible to relieve the sorrows of this young person for whom they could not help being interested though they yet knew not how far she deserved their pity she had prepared her own little room as well as it would admit of to receive them and sat waiting their arrival with some degree of composure they contemplated with concern the ruins of eminent beauty even in early youth and saw an expression of helpless sorrow and incurable unhappiness which had greatly injured the original lustre and beauty of her eyes and countenance a heavy languor hung on her whole frame she tried to smile but it was a smile of anguish and their looks seemed to distress and pain her mrs stafford and emmeline to relieve her took out their work and when they were seated at it she hesitated then sighed and hesitated again and at length seemed to enter on her story with desperate and painful resolution as if to get quickly and at once through a task which however necessary was extremely distressing she began in a low and plaintive voice and frequently stopped to summon courage to continue while she wiped away the tears that slowly fell from her eyes i cannot believe i shall ever repent the confidence i am about to place in you my heart assures me i shall not perhaps i may find that pity i dare no longer solicit from my own family perhaps but i must hasten to tell you my melancholy story before its recollection again overwhelms me yet my fate has nothing in it very singular numbers have been victims of the same calamity but some have been more easily forgiven than i shall be some are better able to bear infamy and be reconciled to disgrace my father the late earl of westhaven during the life of my grandfather married while he was making the tour of europe a very beautiful and amiable woman the daughter of a man of rank in switzerland who having lost his life in the french service had left a family without any provision except for the eldest son my grandfather extremely disobliged by this marriage made a will by which he gave to his only daughter every part of his extensive property except what was entailed and which went with the title with this reserve that his grandson should claim and inherit the whole whenever he became lord westhaven by this will he disinherited my father for his life and though he survived my father's marriage five years and knew he had three children the two younger of whom must be inevitably impoverished by such a disposition he obstinately refused to alter the will he made under the first impulse of resentment and died before his son could prevail upon him by means of their general friends to withdraw the maledictions with which he had loaded him his death not only hurt my father in his feelings but irreparably in his fortune his sister who was married to a scottish nobleman took possession of estates to the amount of fifteen thousand a year and all that remained to my father to support his rank and his increasing family was little more than three thousand and even that income he had considerably diminished by taking up money which he was obliged to do while my grandfather lived for the actual maintenance of his family these unhappy circumstances while they injured the health and spirits of my father, diminished not his tenderness for his wife, whom he loved with unabated passion. To retrench as much as possible, he retired with her and his three children to an estate which, being attached to the title, belonged to him in Cumberland, in hopes of being able to live on the income he had left, and to clear off the burden with which he had been compelled to load his paternal estates but a slow fever the effect of sorrow had seized on my mother then far advanced in her pregnancy with me my father solicitous to save her in whom all his happiness was centred sent to london for the best advice to attend her but their assistance was vain the fever increased upon her and she died three weeks after my birth leaving my father deprived of everything that could make life valuable in his estimation he gave himself up to a despair equal to the violence of his love, and would probably have fallen a victim to it, had not the servants sent to Mr. Thurston, who had been his tutor, and for whom he had the greatest friendship and respect, this excellent man represented to him that it was his duty to live for the children of his deplored Adelina, and he consented to try to live it was long before he could bear to see any of us particularly me whom he beheld with a mixture of tenderness and regret the gloomy solitude in which he lived where every object reminded him of her whose smiles had rendered it a paradise was ill calculated to ameliorate his affliction but he could not be persuaded for some months to leave it or could he be diverted from going every evening to visit the spot where lay the relics of his adelina at length mr thurston prevailed on him to go abroad but he could not determine to leave my elder brother then about five years old of whom he was passionately fond they embarked for naples and he remained abroad five years while my sister my brother william and myself were left at kensington under the care of a female relation and received such instruction as our ages admitted my father returned to england only to place his eldest son at eton finding no relief from the sorrow which perpetually preyed on him but in continual change of place he soon afterwards went again abroad and wandered over europe for almost seven years longer returning once or twice to england in that interval to satisfy himself on our health and the progress of our education when he at last returned my elder brother then near eighteen desired to be allowed to go into the army my father reluctantly consented and the regiment into which he purchased was soon after ordered abroad the grief the departure of his son gave him was somewhat relieved by seeing his elder daughter advantageously disposed of in marriage to the eldest son of an irish peer the beauty of lady camilla was so conspicuous and her manner so charming that though entirely without fortune the family of her husband could not object to the marriage she went to ireland with her lord and it was long before i saw her again my brother william who had always been designed for the navy left me also for a three years station in the mediterranean and i was now always alone with my governess and my old relation whose temper soured by disappointment and not naturally cheerful made her a very unpleasant companion for a girl of fourteen i learned from masters who attended me from london all the usual accomplishments but of the world i knew nothing and impatiently waited for the time when i should be sixteen for then the duchess of blank, blank, who had kindly undertaken to introduce my sister into company had promised that she would afford me also her countenance i remember she smiled and told me that as i was not less pretty than lady camilla i might probably have as good fortune if i was but as accomplished to be accomplished therefore i endeavoured with all my power but the time seemed insupportably long before this essay was to be made it was relieved though mournfully by frequent visits from my father who was accustomed to sit whole hours looking at me while his tears bore witness to the great resemblance i had to my mother my voice too particularly when we conversed in french frequently made him start as if he again heard that which he had never ceased to remember and to regret he would then fondly press me to his heart and call me his poor orphan girl the image of his lost adelina though my mother had been now dead above fifteen years his passion for her memory seemed not at all abated he had by a long residence abroad paid off the debts with which he had encumbered his income but could do no more and the expenses necessary for young men of my brother's rank pressed hardly upon him ever since his return to england his friends had entreated him to attempt by marrying a woman of fortune to repair the deficiency of his own representing to him that to provide for the children of his adelina would be a better proof of his affection to her memory than indulging a vain and useless regret he had however long escaped from their importunity by objecting on some pretence or other to all the great fortunes which were pointed out to him his heart rejected with abhorrence every idea of a second marriage but my brothers every day required a larger supply of money to support them as their birth demanded and to their interest my father at length determined to sacrifice the remainder of a life which had on his own account no longer any value the heiress of a rich grocer in the city was soon discovered by his assiduous friends, who was reputed to be possessed of two hundred thousand pounds. On closer inquiry, the sum was found to be very little, if at all, exaggerated by fame. Miss Jobson, with a tall, meagre person, a countenance bordering on um, horrible, and armed with two round black eyes. Which she fancied beautiful, had seen her fortieth year pass while she attended on her papa in Leadenhall Street, or was dragged by two sleek coach horses to and from Hornsey. Rich as her father was, he would not part with anything while he lived, and by the assistance of two maiden sisters, had so guarded his daughter from the dangerous attacks of Irishmen and younger brothers that she had reached that mature period without hearing the soothing voice of flattery to which she was extremely disposed to listen my father yet in middle age and with a person remarkably fine would have been greatly to her taste if he could have gratified with a better grace her love of admiration but his friends undertook to court her for him and his title still more successfully pleaded in his favour she made some objection to his having a family but as i alone remained at home she at length agreed to undertake to be at once a mother-in-law and a countess while this treaty was going on and settlements and jewels preparing i was taken several times to wait on miss Jobson, but it was easy to see i had not the good fortune to please her i was but just turned to fifteen was full of gaiety and vivacity and possessed those personal advantages which if she ever had any share of them were long since faded she seemed conscious that the splendour of her first appearance would be eclipsed by the unadorned simplicity of mine and she hated me because it was not in my power to be old and ugly giddy as i then was nothing but respect for my father prevented me repaying with ridicule the supercilious style in which she usually treated me her vulgar manners and awkward attempts to imitate those of people of fashion excited my perpetual mirth and as her dislike of me daily increased i am afraid i did not always conceal the contempt i felt in return miss Jobson chose to pass some time at tunbridge previous to her marriage thither my father followed her and i went with him eager to make my first appearance in public and to see whether the prophecies of the duchess would be fulfilled this experiment was made in a party from tunbridge to lewes Races, where i had the delight of dancing for the first time in public and of seeing the high and old-fashioned little head of miss Jobson, who affected to do something which she thought was dancing also almost at the end of the set while i as an earl's daughter was nearly at the top had i been ever accustomed to appear in public these distinctions would have been too familiar to have given me any pleasure but now they were enchanting and added to the universal admiration i excited intoxicated me with vanity my partner who had been introduced to me by a man of high rank the moment i entered the room was a gentleman from the west of england who was just of age and entered into the possession of a fortune of eight thousand a year mr Trelawney, for that was his name followed us to tunbridge and frequently danced with me afterwards educated in obscurity and without any prospect of the fortune to which he succeeded by a series of improbable events this young man had suddenly emerged into life he was tolerably handsome but had a heavy unmeaning countenance and was quite unformed several men of fashion however were kind enough to undertake to initiate him into a good style of living and for everything that bore the name of fashion and ton he seemed to have a violent attachment to that i owed his unfortunate prepossession in my favour i was admired and followed by men whom he had been taught to consider as the arbiters of elegance and supreme judges of beauty and fashion but they could only admire they could not afford to marry an indigent woman of quality and they told trelawney that they envied him the power of pleasing himself so trelawney was talked to about me till he believed he was in love in this persuasion he procured a statement of his fortune to be shewn to my father by one of his friends and made an offer to lay it at my feet an offer which though my father would have been extremely glad to have me accept he answered by referring Mr. Trelawney to me. I suspected no such thing, but with a thoughtless inattention of sixteen, remembered little of the fine things which were said to me by Trelawney at the last ball. While I was busied in inventing a new chapeau for the next, at which I intended to do more than usual execution, my father introduced Mr. Trelawney and left the room i concluded he was come to engage me for the evening and felt disposed to refuse him out of pure coquetry when with an infinite number of blushes and after several efforts he made me in due form an offer of his heart and fortune i had never thought of anything so serious as matrimony and indeed, was but just out of the nursery, where I had never been told it was necessary to think at all. I did not very well know what to say to my admirer, and after the first speech, which I believe he had learned by heart, he knew almost as little what to say to me. And he was not sorry when I, in a great fright, referred him to my father, merely because I knew not myself what answer to give him. Our conversation ended, and he went to find my father. While I, for the first time in my life, began to reflect on my prospects and to consider whether I preferred marrying Mister Trelawney to living with Miss Jobson. To Miss Jobson I had a decided aversion. For Mister Trelawney I felt neither love or hatred. My mind was not made up on the subject. When my father came to me, he had seen Trelawney. And expressed himself greatly pleased with the prudence and propriety of my answer. My Adelina knows, continued he, that the happiness of my children is the only wish I have on earth, and I may tell her, too, that my solicitude for her exceeds all my other cares. Solicitude which will be at an end if I can see her in the protection of a man of honour and fortune. If therefore, my love, you really do not disapprove this young man whose fortune is splendid and of whose character i have received the most favourable accounts i shall have a weight removed from my mind and enjoy all the tranquillity i can hope for on this side of the grave you know how soon i am to marry miss jobson a mother-in-law is seldom beloved i may die and leave you unprovided for for you know adelina the circumstances into which your grandfather's will has thrown me our dear charles whenever he inherits my title will repossess the fortune of my ancestors and will i am sure act generously by you and william but such a dependence if not precarious is painful and by accepting the proposal of mr Trelawney, all my apprehensions will be at an end, and my Adelina secure of that affluence to which her merit, as well as her birth, entitles her. But powerful as these considerations are, let them not influence you, if you feel any reluctance to the match. Were they infinitely stronger, I will never again name them, if in doing so I hazard persuading my daughter to a step which may render her for ever unhappy though so i was very far from feeling for mr Trelawney that decided preference which would in other circumstances have induced me to accept his hand yet i found my father so desirous of my being settled that as i had no aversion to the man i could not resolve to disappoint him perhaps the prospect of escaping from the power of my mother-in-law and of being mistress of an affluent fortune instead of living in mortifying dependence on her might have too much influence on my heart. My father, however, obtained without any difficulty my consent to close with Mr. Trelawney's proposals. We all went to London, where Lord Westhaven married Miss Jobson, and the settlements were preparing by which Mr. Trelawney secured to me a jointure as great as I could have expected if my fortune had been equal to my rank. As the new Lady Westhaven, was so soon to be relieved of the presence of a daughter she did not love she behaved to me with tolerable civility occupied with her rank she seemed to have infinite delight in displaying it to her city acquaintance her ladyship thought a coronet so delightful an ornament that the meanest utensils in her house were adorned with it and she wore it woven or worked on all her clothes in the vain hope perhaps of counteracting the repelling effect of an hideous countenance a discordant voice and a manner more vulgar than either i saw with concern that my father was not consoled by the possession of her great fortune for the mortification of having given the name and place of his adored adelina to a woman so unlike her in mind and person he was seldom well seldomer at home and seemed to have no other delight than in hearing from his two sons and from his eldest daughter and when we were alone he told me that to see me married would also give him pleasure but he appeared i thought less anxious for the match than when it was first proposed the preparations however went on and in six weeks were completed in that interval i had seen trelawney almost every day he always seemed very good-humoured and was certainly very thoughtless he loved me or fancied he loved me extremely but i sometimes suspected that it was rather in compliance with the taste of others than his own and that a favourite hunter or a famous pointer were very likely to rival me my father sometimes laughed at his boyish fondness for such things and the importance he annexed to them and sometimes i thought he looked grave and hurt at observing it for my own part i saw his follies but none that i did not equally perceive in the conduct of other young men though i had no absolute partiality to him i was totally indifferent to every other man i married him therefore and gave away my person before i knew i had an heart we went immediately into cornwall to an old-fashioned but magnificent family seat where i was received by mr trelawney's sister a woman some years older than he was and who had brought him up the coarse conversation of this woman which consisted entirely in details of family economy and the stupidity of her husband and a booby son of fourteen were but ill-calculated to render my retirement pleasing having laughed and wondered once at the uncouth figures and obsolete notions of mr trelawney's cornish cousins who hastened in their best clothes to congratulate him from places whose barbarous names i could not pronounce and having twice entertained the voters of two boroughs which belonged to the family i had exhausted all the delights of cornwall and prevailed upon him to return to a country where i could see a few beings like myself when i came back into the world I was surrounded by a crowd of idle people whose admiration flattered the vanity of Trelawney more than it did mine. For I became accustomed to adulation, and it lost its charms with its novelty. Trelawney was continually with young men of fashion who called themselves his friends, and who, besides doing him the kindness to advise and instruct him in the disposal of his fortune, would have relieved him from the affections of his wife if he had ever possessed them they made love to me with as little scruple as they borrowed money of him and told me that neglect on the part of my husband well deserved to be repaid with infidelity on mine but i felt for these shallow libertines only disgust and contempt and received their professions with so much coldness that they left me in search of some other giddy creature who might not by ill-timed prudity belie the promise of early coquetry it was yet however very much the fashion to admire me and my husband seemed still to take some delight in hearing and reading in the daily papers that lady adelina Trelawney was the most elegant figure at court or that every beauty at the opera was eclipsed on her entrance the eagerness and avidity with which i had entered from the confinement of the nursery to a life of continual dissipation was now considerably abated i continued it from habit and because i knew not how to employ my time otherwise but i felt a dreary vacuity in my heart and amid splendour and admiration was unhappy the return of my elder brother from his first campaign in america was the only real pleasure i had long felt he is perhaps one of the most elegant and accomplished young men of his time but to be elegant and accomplished is his least praise his solid understanding and his excellent heart are an honour to his country and to human nature that quick sense of honour and that strictness of principle which now make my greatest terror give a peculiar lustre and dignity to his character my father received him with that delight a father only can feel and saw and gloried with all a father's pride in a successor worthy of his ancestors my brother who had always loved me extremely though we had been very little together took up his abode at my house while he stayed in england trelawney seemed to feel a sort of awe before him which made him endeavour to hide his vices if not his weakness while he remained with us he was more attentive to me than he had long been my brother hoped i was happy and though trelawney was a man whose conversation afforded him no pleasure he behaved to him with every appearance of friendship and regard he was soon however to return to his regiment and my father who had been in a declining state of health ever since his second marriage appeared to grow worse as the period of separation approached he seemed to have waited only for this beloved son to close his eyes for a few days before he was again to take leave my father found his end very rapidly approaching perfectly conscious of it he settled all his affairs and made a provision for me and my brother william out of the money of the present lady westhaven which the marriage articles gave him a right to dispose of after her ladyship's death if he left no children by her and recommended us both to his eldest son you will act nobly by our dear william said he i have no doubt of it but above all remember my poor adelina camilla is happily married tell her i die blessing her and her children but adelina my unfortunate adelina is herself but a child and her husband is very young and thoughtless watch over her honour and her repose for the sake of your father and that dear woman she so much resembles your sainted mother i was in the room in an agony of sorrow he called me to him my daughter said he in a feeble voice remember that the honour of your family of your brothers is in your hands and remember it is sacred endeavour to deserve the happiness of being sister to such brothers and daughter to such a mother as yours was i was unable to answer i could only kiss his convulsed hands which i eagerly did as if to tell him that i promised all he expected of me my own heart which then made the vow now perpetually reproaches me with having kept it so ill a few hours afterwards my father died my brother unable to announce to me the melancholy tidings took my hand in silence and led me out of the house which was now lady westhaven's he had only a few days to stay in england which he employed in paying the last mournful duties to his father and then embarked again for america leaving his affairs to be settled by my sister's husband lord Clancarl to whom he wrote to come over from ireland for my brother william was now stationed in the west indies where he obtained the command of a man of war and my brother westhaven knew that to leave any material business to trelawny was to leave it to ignorance and imbecility in my husband i had neither a friend or a companion i had not even a protector for except when he was under the restraint of my brother's presence he was hardly ever at home sometimes he was gone on tours to distant counties to attend races or hunts to which he belonged and sometimes to france where he was embarked in gaming associations with englishmen who lived only to disgrace their name left to pass my life as the wife of such a man as trelawney i felt my brother's departure as the deprivation of all i loved but the arrival of my sister and her husband relieved me i had not seen them for some years and was delighted to meet my sister happy with a man so worthy and respectable as lord Glencarl. he took possession on behalf of my brother of the estate my aunt was now obliged to resign and as my sister was impatient to return to ireland where she had left her children they pressed me extremely to go thither with them gelauny was gone out on one of his rambles but i wrote to him and obtained his consent indeed he long since ceased to trouble himself about me i attended my sister therefore to loch Carol, on the beautiful banks of which her lord had built an house which possessing as much magnificence as was proper to their rank was yet contrived with an attention to all the comforts of domestic retirement here Lady Clancarryl chose to reside the whole year and my lord never left it but to attend the business of parliament at dublin his tender attention to his wife his ardent yet regulated fondness for his children the peace and order which reigned in his house the delightful and easy society he sometimes collected in it and the cheerful confidence we enjoyed in quiet family parties when without company made me feel with bitterness and regret the difference between my sister's lot and mine her husband made it the whole business of his life to fulfil every duty of his rank mine seemed only solicitous to degrade himself below his one was improving his fortune by well-regulated economy the other dissipating his among gamesters and pickpockets the conversation of lord Clancarryl was sensible refined and improving trelawney's consisted either in tiresome details of adventures among jockeys pedigrees of horses or scandalous and silly anecdotes about persons of whom nobody wished to hear or he sunk into sullen silence yawned and showed how very little relish he had for any other discourse when i married him i knew not to what i had condemned myself as his character gradually discovered itself my reason also increased and now when i had an opportunity of comparing him to such a man as lord Clan-Carol, i felt all the horrors of my destiny and beheld with a dread from which my feeble heart recoiled a long long prospect of life before me without attachment without friendship without love i remained two months in ireland and heard nothing of trelawney till a match having been made on the kirk of there, on which he had a large bet depending he came over to be present at it and i heard with regret that i was to return with him while he remained in ireland his disgusting manners and continual intoxication extremely displeased lord clancarrol and i lived in perpetual uneasiness a few days before we were to embark for england george fitz edward his lordship's younger brother came from the north of ireland where he had been with his regiment to loch Carroll. but it was only a passing visit to his family he was going to england and we were to sail in the same paquette at the mention of george fitz edward lady adelina grew more distressed than she had yet been in the course of her narrative mrs stafford and emmeline testified signs of surprise she observed it and asked if they knew him mrs stafford answered they had some acquaintance with him and emmeline remarked that she either never heard or had forgotten that his father's second title was Clancarl. His very name seemed to affect Lady Adelina so much, and she appeared so exhausted by having spoken so long that though she told them she had but little to add to her mournful story, they insisted upon her permitting them to release her till the evening when they would attend her again. End of Volume Two, Chapter Eleven.